Hello and welcome to another edition of the End Zone Podcast. My name is Eric Jensen and I'm joined today by a very special guest, YB, all the way from South Korea, to help me finish up our draft previews. For those listening, this podcast will be coming out sometime on Sunday, probably Sunday afternoon. You will be thinking, it's this time of year, Eric, you're probably super busy with the podcast. Why no? Because Bradford is an Edmonton Oilers fan, and I am a Colorado Avalanche fan, and I am not going to be recording a podcast in the middle of the Stanley Cup playoffs, in the middle of the week, during a Game 1 or a Game 2 of that those potential series. So, how this is going to work, this is going to be a semi-longer episode, probably about an hour and a half. This is all the draft content you get until draft week, when... If Ryan is down, we will come back. We will do a full mock draft uh, with two or three other people on the panel. We will talk through all the picks we think are going to be made in the first round. And then the week of the draft. So we'll probably do that mock draft episode on a Tuesday. That Thursday, we will reconvene probably at the... I've decided because I don't want to keep people up super late, probably will convene at the 20th pick of the first round of the NFL draft. We'll do a round one recap. Hopefully by the time we're done with the podcast, the whole first round will be over. And then we will come back per usual, as is tradition, the either Sunday night or Monday after the draft wraps up. We will do our off-season winners and losers. We will do our draft winners and losers. We will let Ryan depart from this role as our senior draft analyst and just a good man for spending this much time with me every every time every time a year between uh, March and April. And we will take our yearly two to three week, probably three or four this time around, just because. I'm, I'm doing some traveling in May break, and we will be back with the podcast in late May, early June with fun summer content, and then we'll start previews again, and then we'll, we'll do this whole crazy NFL season all over again. With that all said, Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Are you excited for today? It feels like we have a lot of big name prospects that we haven't quite talked about yet. It feels like we're talking about two of the three most loaded positions in this draft class. I'm a, I'm excited to pick your brain on it. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it uh, a lot as well, Eric. You know, as you said, it's kind of a, a good time of year right now. Like, there's a lot of draft buzz. There's not a whole lot else going on. Free agency's kind of wrapped up. Obviously, we've got kind of the elephant in the room with Lamar Jackson and Aaron Rodgers. But, like, how much are we going to talk about that? Like, we can actually talk about the draft. We can talk about some of these prospects, running backs, tight ends, edge rushers, you know, some some pretty good uh, positions uh, in there with the tight ends and the edge rushers, uh, as you said. So, yeah, no, I'm I'm looking forward to it, uh, Eric. There's a, a lot of good players to, uh, to highlight in the episode. Absolutely. So, YB, I'm going to get you involved here first. Obviously, you're a Bengals fan. You have some invested interest in all of these positions right. for the Bengals. What would be your first question if you had any question to ask Ryan about these position groups, what would it be? 
Well, I mean, the biggest question I think involving these positions would be, I think I have two, is one, will Bijan be there at 28? <laughs> Which is, I think, a subject of debate, although I think the consensus usually leans towards probably not, although a bit closer than you'd imagine. And two... If the Bengals were to go tight end, which is not a popular opinion in Bengals fandom on, in round one, who would be the best option, assuming that all of them are there? I mean, those are the two questions I have. Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, I'll touch on Bijan first. I don't think he'll be there at 28, so but I, I wouldn't rule it out completely. I mean, I think in recent history, I would have uh, Bijan Robinson ranked higher than a Najee Harris, for example, but I was also very high on Najee Harris. And, you know, he's had some ups and downs with the Steelers. You know, this past year, I was uh, maybe a little bit underwhelmed with what we were going to see from Najee Harris. Still think highly of him and still don't think it's necessarily fully fair to compare the two prospects, but that's just kind of recent history. I think that was probably something that people reference if they are kind of pounding the table for Bijan in the draft in the first round, who is a player that I think is a lock to be a top 10 overall player in this draft in Bijan. And I think more realistic a top five player overall in this draft. I know Daniel Jeremiah just released his latest rankings and he had him as high as third in his overall prospects. So like, there's no denying that Bijan is a great player, but there's obviously a significant question around the positional value. So I wouldn't rule it out completely that he could be around for when the Bengals pick, but I think more likely he will be, you know, grabbed up before then and running back's not a position yet. You're really kind of trade up for. So uh, I would say more realistically, like a Jameer Gibbs is probably kind of in that territory if you were thinking running back. But uh, to get into kind of the tight end part, I think it is a good tight end class. I think there's some tight ends you can look at and, you know, the, the back half of the first round where the Bengals are that could be, you know, be good options. My favorite is Michael Mayer from Notre Dame. I, you know, he was a five-star recruit. He kind of came into this year as kind of the guy that everyone, you know, knew about. And I don't know if there's necessarily been any kind of fatigue with, uh, you know, hyping up Michael Mayer. I know that Dalton Kincaid and Darnell Washington are also, you know, very talented players, but I think that Michael Mayer is a, you know, lock to be a really strong tight end in the NFL, even though he didn't run the fastest 40 time at four, seven, you know, that was a little underwhelming, but um, you know, he's an experienced player has a lot of, you know, run block pass block snaps at Notre Dame. Obviously, that's a uh, you know very pro style offense. He, he's a strong blocker and a very good receiver as well. 18 touchdowns in in his career, which um, was you know among the highest of any tight end in this class. Payne Durham from Purdue is one guy higher than him in overall touchdowns in the career. But Mayer is a much more you know all around player um, than a Durham or, or some of these other tight ends uh, in this class. So I think that Mayer would probably be my favorite option uh, for tight ends. You know, if he you know I I would guess he's potentially around, um, but but for me, that's probably where I would go. I mean, the the what I've seen on a lot of on a lot of talk about both Bengals Twitter and draft Twitter is that like with tight ends, especially considering who are the stars of the tight end position now. You look at Kelsey, you look at Kittle, you look at Andrews. Like the guys that weren't in the, drafted in the first round are the ones that are really tearing up the league. So yeah. there's a there's a growing consensus that maybe going first round tight end is not the greatest is not the wisest choice. Yeah. Whether that's a select, whether that's a recency bias or just the issue of selection is in another issue entirely but that's also something that we've been talk that's been discussed widely on in draft circles so it's kind of curious because when you when you obviously i've looked at the draft profiles not as extensively as someone like you obviously but there's a lot of pretty well talked about prospects in this class like beyond mayor so kincaid musgrave washington tucker craft laporta yeah so 
there's a lot of them and so there's a line of thinking that goes like you can go into the deeper rounds and probably get one that's maybe 80 percent 90 percent is good so it makes sense to go for a position that's somewhat more scarce in the first round and to go that way so that's it's a different school of draft philosophy i think that goes into it as well as positional values so yeah, I think that's incredibly well said. Totally agree with that conceptually. And yeah, the you know six players we've named so far with Mayor, Kincaid, Washington, Laporta, Musgrave, Kraft. Those are my top you know position uh, players at tight end this year. I think there's even some more good ones after that. Zach Koontz is uh, mm-hmm. kind of maybe a more under-radar player, went to Old Dominion, but um, he had some good stats, actually went to Penn State and then transferred to Old Dominion uh, and, you know, is a pretty effective player, um, you know, pretty athletic. He's, you know, 6'7 and runs a 4'5'40. So, um, you know, that's obviously a player that in the later rounds you could kind of take a shot on, you know, less, right. uh, you know, high stress of, you know, taking a first round tight end that maybe you could kind of develop into, you know, being a good player. But um, yeah, I agree with that philosophy. And th- since this class has, you know, six, you know, pretty rock solid tight ends, I think waiting and, you know, Hey, I'll, I'll grab a Sam Laporta, you know, in the third or fourth round. I think that's a, you know, smart strategy, uh, you know, conceptually, I would, I would back that up if, you know, we were in a war room, you know, debating the position of value, you know, oh, we could get a good edge rusher here. Or we could go with the top tight end and mayor you know i'd probably go with uh with an edge rusher in that hypothetical so i i just have a question about tight end in general ryan and, and i think it falls in with that positional value you know you make the argument that there's not as much positional value to tight end i would almost argue the opposite because if you look at tight end there are only really two to three game-changing tight ends in the nfl right now And if you think you can find one of those, I think you should take them. But my real question is this. Over the past few years, we've seen some guys that have been extremely hyped at tight end come into the league. I'm thinking guys like TJ Hawkinson and Kyle Pitts specifically. These guys, draft Knicks talk about them. They love them. They fawn over them. Daniel Jeremiah was convinced that Kyle Pitts was going to change the way the league viewed tight ends but then these guys get into the league and tj hawkinson people forget it took him like three years to become a real contributor for the lions on offense and really he didn't start making plays until he got traded to the vikings this year his second half of the season was the best stretch of his career and kyle pitts has done practically nothing with the atlanta falcons why is it that tight ends don't translate into the NFL, especially when you have all these wide receivers that are coming into the league. That feels like if you take a wide receiver, let's be honest here, Ryan, if you take a wide receiver in the top two rounds, there's an 85% chance that guy hits and is a major contributor on your team. That's what it feels like in the modern NFL. I might be a little high, but yeah. Nobody told Bill (laughs) Belichick that, did they? But but I, and I'm not saying thousand yard guys, but like if you take a guy within the first two rounds, and we talked about this before, he's gonna get you at least 700 yards in his first season, and that's like a decent second or third string contributor. It. I mean, not necessarily in this class. I mean, I I'm not very high on this wide receiver class. Like, I don't think a Zay Flowers the last pod. seven eight hundred yards in in year one. Me personally, I there's a lot of people high on Zay Flowers, but I don't see that in you know what he is as a prospect. I think he's more of a second round pick, and you know there's a good chance he gets top twenty, top twenty five in the draft. Okay, but uh, my original question stands: Why doesn't tight end translate? Do you think? Ah. 
I mean, I think that's honestly the case with so many positions. Like, I think we can we can say, oh, it takes forever, obviously, with quarterback. I think wide receiver takes a long time to translate. Tight end, it takes a while to translate, you know, alignment. You know, it, it's hard to to translate. I, I think that, you know, yeah, there's some examples, like you said, with, you know, Pitts and Hawkinson that, um, you know, it's taking them a little bit of time. But, you know, I, I still, you know, I'm giving Kyle Pitts time. I know it hasn't been a big explosion so far. I didn't have 400 yards last year and missed some time with injury. But I still think very highly of of what Kyle Pitts can be for the Falcons. He's still just 23. So, you know, the draft, it's a developmental position, you know, is it's a developmental spot. Like you're going to take guys and, you know, they're not finished products yet. So I don't, I don't know necessarily if it's as much about tight end as it is just like, we want these guys to be good right away and step in. Cause sometimes we get that, we get a sauce gardener who's, you know, Oh, bang, instant impact. Or, um, you know, we, I, we haven't necessarily seen that as much as tight end to your point, but um, yeah, I, I think that, you know, it's just kind of uh, a lot of teams kind of use that position differently too like um you know the, like a michael mayer uh is used a lot differently than a dalton kincaid you know mayor's a lot more kind of in line and um you know next to a tackle where a lot of times you could see kincaid lined up in the slot uh, or uh you know same thing with tucker craft with uh um south dakota state and, you know their their alignment may not necessarily um you know kind of stack up exactly with how a team would you know use them uh, at the nfl level so uh i think that's the case with most positions but i'm sure there's some reasoning you know behind uh, why tight end specifically in terms of you know that position is just kind of unique you know if you know a team like obviously the Arizona Cardinals things haven't gone well for them but Cliff Kingsbury was like I don't even like tight ends the most uh, I, I like wide receivers and getting speed out there so uh every team kind of values that you know position a little bit differently so that could be a factor and then he went and traded for Zach Ertz which tells you something doesn't yeah. it <laughs> yeah it does. but and and then uh, to push back on Pitt's part a little bit like on his rookie season he, he went for a thousand yards I mean that's the only two only he's only he's one of only two tight ends to have gone for a thousand yards in his second his, his rookie season I mean that's not that's not nothing totally I mean, his yeah, second one touchdown was... people are probably like oh it was light but like you said he was involved you know yeah he, he... He, you know, and he was explosive too, over 15 yards of catch in addition yeah. to the, you know, thousand yards. So I, I think the, I think the second season was coloring a lot of people's opinion on Pitts because so much was expected of him last year after that very promising first season. And yeah. so I think, I think the discourse around Pitts had gone in well. other, yeah, the, the Mariota situations didn't help. Yeah. Got to flex my Utah knowledge here. I like Dalton Kincaid. I like Dalton Kincaid a lot. I think he's yeah. the best receiving tight end in the draft class. By far, definitely not a super great blocker. But if you put him outside, or even if you played him as like a slot type receiver, I really do think that he's the type of guy that within the next four to five years, he can be a, a good contributor on a good NFL team. I think the place I see him going where he'll, he'd be most successful is somewhere between like 15 and 20 one of these kind of fringe playoff teams but needs another weapon like I could see him you know if they were down to run a two tight end set I could see him being successful with a Trevor Lawrence type or maybe even like Orion Tannehill if the Titans committed to keeping him this year I I, I do think uh, there are some good spots kind of in the mid rounds for him but I, I'm just pretty high on Dalton Kincaid are you of a similar mindset, or do you think I might be overhyping him a little bit too much? I I just view him as a guy that can be like between a 900 and thousand yard receiver every year to every other year for like the next, probably give him like two years to acclimate. And then he can probably be that for like five to seven years. 
Yeah, no, I Dalton Kincaid is my second ranked tight end uh, in this class right after Michael Mayer. And he has a very different story than Michael Mayer. I mentioned, you know, he was a mayor being a, a five star recruit, goes to Notre Dame. You knew about him, you know, all three years. He was the high prospect. Well, Kincaid, not the same case. He was he wasn't even recruited really out of high school. He was, he was a zero star recruit. Went to ends up going to San Diego for two years and was was pretty good, but you know isn't you know thinking he's going to be an NFL type prospect. Transfers to Utah, doesn't play a ton in the COVID year, and then just kind of lights it up the last two years and especially last year, eight touchdowns e- each year, and um you know was a really uh, impactful player. Did deal with some injuries, and you mentioned some of the weaknesses with him as a blocker that could be reasoning to hold back on Kincaid. But in terms of what he can do uh, as a pass catcher, um you know he is probably more of a player you could kind of plug and play a little bit easier um you know i have him ranked ahead of darnell washington from georgia who i still think is a, is pretty raw you know uh, has a lot of ability and could get there but um you know he's more of a player that i could see probably taking like five six seven years to become a, a really good player like he he could you know kind of get drafted to a team high not really super pan out goes to a second team and is really good i don't see that as much as kincaid you know he's a little bit older fifth year senior mentioned the transfer different offenses dealt with some adversity so um uh, I think that, you know, Kincaid is a really, really good prospect and uh, maybe a little bit later than where you had. I'd probably extend that range into kind of the 20s uh, as well for where Kincaid yeah. can go. But I like him a lot as a, as a prospect. Yeah. If you want to know why people are hyped about Don Kincaid, just and it, also if you just want to watch, like, arguably, I would argue, like, one of the top five college football games last season. USC go, game. Just Google USC yeah. Utah highlights. Like, this is a game where this kid had 16 catches, like including several highly acrobatic, crazy sideline grabs where the defenders draped all over him. This like I, I'm very hyped about Don Kincaid. I'm going to be very high on whoever takes him. Yeah, he's he's got a lot of uh, a lot to offer. Yeah, that that game he had against USC he was uh, he was unguardable. Yeah, and it was an incredible performance. Uh, really good tape. So, uh, yeah, that's a that's a good shout. Uh, highlighting your Utah guy, but I mean, yeah, I like uh, I like Kate a lot. All right, I want to go back to running backs really quick and talk a little bit more about Bijan Robinson. Let's do it. I I want to understand the hype on this guy. So I, I want to propose a little bit of a wacky hypothetical question here. We all know, obviously, running backs age super quickly in the NFL. So let's just say this. Like, let's just say I, I'm going to give you two other names. And just imagine, like, the first two fully healthy years of their career. So if I if I stack Bijan Robinson, Ezekiel Elliott, and Saquon Barkley, who to me have been the three best running back prospects to come out of the past five years how do you rank those guys coming out of college and within their first one to two years in the nfl doing some projection on Bijan? yeah that's a that's a really good question because yeah i mean i i don't think anybody was as highly rated as saquon barkley was coming out of penn state um that i can remember and i know zeke was so incredibly hyped as well and obviously had a big postseason you know had a big you know game against alabama uh that obviously is gonna you know impact your draft value and you know he was pretty damn good i will say for for quite some time but i would probably take the slight edge towards both those guys over Bijan robinson i would probably take barkley zeke and then robinson 
in that order, but I'm still very high on Bijan Robinson for sure. Uh, you know, he, you know, played three years, was a five-star recruit. We knew he was going to be really good. He was incredibly productive. He shows value as a receiver, super tough. You know, he, he's a little bit more durable as well at 215. Uh, you know, he has a little bit more weight uh, that you can kind of rely on that, uh, you know, in terms of some confidence that he can hold up against, you know, uh, stepping up obviously in, in competition, you know, taking hits from the big 12 is still a lot different than the NFL, but I think Bijan's size gives you some confidence that, um, you know, he can translate and, uh, you know, we, we touched on positions that are hard to translate. I think running back is probably the easiest position to translate to the NFL. You can very easily be a plug and play starter uh, coming right out of college and um, still think highly of where Bijan could go. Could certainly see him going in the top 10, but I don't think he'll be going necessarily in the top four, like we saw from where Barkley and where Elliott were drafted. What, what makes him a special prospect? I think his ability to to make people miss in space. I mean, he can turn a, a small play into a big play in no time. He's incredibly athletic uh, in terms of, uh, you know, his speed, his power, his shiftiness. Uh, it's really just kind of the uh, complete package uh, in what you would want uh, as a running back, you know, pr- productive for, for three years, as I said, providing value uh, in, in different ways. So um, he's just kind of the... Uh, uh, everything you could kind of ask for and, um, you know, only playing three years too, you know, that obviously takes a little bit of hit, yeah, a little bit of hits away from it. Um, you know, still played a, a handful of snaps over, you know, 1300 offensive snaps in his career and at Texas. But, um, I, I think that he's just kind of, you know, offers you a lot. He's explosive. And, uh, a lot of people kind of compare him to, to Reggie Bush and, you know, they both wore number five and were kind of explosive and just made things happen. And obviously I don't think Reggie Bush quite lived up to what the hype was for him, uh, in the NFL, but, um, still obviously was a was a pretty good player for you know a number of years before obviously as you said you know injuries kind of you know take over that position at some point but um you know the team that drafts Bijan is going to be really happy and he's going to be really productive for you know those four or five years that you know he's there with them I think I think if Reggie Bush had been born about 10 years later he would have had a much more much better much more much more productive career I think the offenses would have a better way to use him as opposed to try to run run in between the tackles as much as I think they tried and that I mean I haven't I I, mean, I haven't watched as much film of, of a lot of the prospects as much as I would have but I think in the limited film I've seen the one thing that I think I'd noticed the most about Bijan is that his stop start is ridiculous like like he you can stop and start on a diamond and it that's that's something that especially when you're a running back and and not it's not always going to be about straight line speed obviously as a running back you're gonna have to find small holes stop on a diamond and go and then shoot through it and that's something that. It, that was that was something that was that was remarkable when I see it, and then just making. I mean, obviously it's college, so it's not they're not not all the defenders he's he's facing are going to be pros, but those guys just kind of fly by him and with with subtle movements. So it was pretty incredible to watch, and I can see the hype behind it. Yeah, that's spot on. And one thing I think is interesting, too, about his testing numbers is, uh, you know, he and Jameer Gibbs are pretty, you know, clearly the top two running backs in this class. But uh, Jameer Gibbs came in, you know, 16 pounds lighter and ended up running a 40. That was a tenth of a second sooner. He ran a 4.36 where Bijan ran a 4.46. But in the first 10 yards, that first 10 yard split, each of them ran a 1.52 10 yard split. So as you said, explosive. He's getting out the, uh, you know, those first 10 yards is the exact same as Jameer Gibbs, who I would say is the most, you know, dynamic explosive player when those first 10 yards when Bijan's hitting it he's as fast as anybody you know in terms of an elite running back uh, in this class I want to get to Jameer Gibbs and some of these uh, other guys that could go in the second round potentially how big of an issue is the size thing going to be for Jameer Gibbs do you think yeah I think it's uh it's uh 
you know, it's something you note, but I, uh, you know, and for me, it kind of, until a player kind of, you, until you see those injuries, you know, show up a little bit more, uh, you know, I'm willing to kind of give him the benefit of the doubt. We know what Gibbs is. He's a speed guy on the outside, you know, those, those players, you know, they have a tendency to get, you know, beat up if you're, you know, using them over the middle, uh, you know, as, uh, as we were kind of saying with how NFL offenses are, have changed, but, um, I mean, gosh, you put him on, on a team that, you know, knows how to get the ball to a guy in space, like, you know, Kansas city, Philadelphia, uh, you know, Cincinnati, even, um, you know, they, they would have a lot of fun with Jameer Gibbs. I mean, he can, he's probably the best receiver, uh, I would say of, uh, of the backs in this class. Um, so I, I think that, you know, he's given you immediate value. So I, I think you can kind of, you know, look at him and say, all right, you know, maybe there's a factor here. We, we didn't see it in college in terms of his injuries much at, uh, either Georgia tech or Alabama, but, um, you know, it, it could come up, you know, that's probably, you know, why he would go late first, early second, if, if I had to kind of put a, uh, a guess on it, but, um, he's dynamic. He, he's really good. He would help out a team. And uh, I, I don't think the size should be overlooked, um, too, too much, uh, with him. Here's a guy that I have some questions with sticking with running back here. Lots of people have him ranked third. Personally, I didn't see it. You know, I I watch a lot of Pac-12. Zach Charbonnet, like, okay. He has moments where he looks really good. But at the same time, I, I, I kind of view him as like a very average running back. Like he sometimes struggled to like make things happen for himself and use power effectively. He's only like six feet tall. He's not the biggest guy in the world. I I, I don't know. I'm just really hesitant with him. I've just never... I don't know what what do people do you agree with that or like are you higher on him I just think you know lots of people are are kind of higher on the running back class I think there's a big fall off after those past two guys uh, after those first two guys and I, I just I don't think I'd be comfortable taking anyone but those first two guys within the first two rounds to be honest yeah. with you i i feel the exact same way on that i wouldn't touch charbonnet until you know the third or, or fourth round maybe even more a little bit realistic i like charbonnet's game like i i think there's no knocking in terms of putting him in that kind of next tier you know ranking him below robinson and gibbs like uh, i don't have an issue with that i know daniel jeremiah has him as his third ranked back as does dane brugler who are two of the scouts mm-hmm. i follow most kind of closely um i i like charbonnet you know he transferred from michigan he was pretty good at michigan wanted a little bit more opportunity opportunity we know michigan obviously blake quorum and uh donovan edwards are there now and uh, they've done pretty good so charbonnet goes back home he's from california goes plays for ucla and that chip kelly offense and was pretty good he and dorian thompson robinson had a pretty good little dynamic rushing attack i think charbonnet has a role in the nfl he scored a lot of touchdowns in college so yeah i'd like a goal line back that can finish in the end zone so his size is going to be something that helps him but certainly not a three down back and i think for that reason you know that's probably why i view him more as a third fourth uh you know round prospect uh probably most realistically in my opinion a fourth round pick um but you know i i think that if he's your third rank back and you're like yeah we're, we're we're in a spot where we got a you know third round pick here we like charbonnet let's grab him uh makes sense but um i don't think there's a, a chance he should go any higher than than third round 
I mean, when you look at the running backs, it's kind of similar to the tight end. There's like a huge cluster of running backs that are in like the somewhere between the third and fifth round, like where people will be comfortable taking a lot of them. So guys yeah. like Tajay Spears, Devin Chain, Tank Bigsby, Kendra Miller, is Israel Banakanda. So when you look at that cluster and because like a lot of people will say like, when you look at last year with guys like Damian Pierce, guys like Tyler Algier, guys like um, yeah. I forget the I forget the other running back who was drafted very late that played like Walker and Hall were drafted a little bit earlier. So, but yeah, guys like Algier and Pierce were drafted fourth and fifth round. They performed pretty well for themselves. So, a lot of people are saying that if you're if you need a running back but have everything else, then you can take someone in the third somewhere between the third and fifth. And get pretty much similar production, even if the guy isn't as t- naturally talented as someone like Bijan or maybe a Jameer Gibbs. So, out of those like those clumped up guys in that grouping, who like if you had your choice for your pick for your for the team you have, like who would you be pounding the table for? Like say in the fourth round, and you had your pick. Yeah, uh, really good question. I think maybe what you were just saying, Isaiah Pacheco, that was another guy who was after yeah, really late. Uh, Pacheco, for, yeah, yeah, that's right. Pacheco. Um, you know, that had an impact. And conceptually, love the day three running back. Oh, my gosh. I like if I was, you know, in a GM room, I'm like, I don't care. But on day three, we got to take a running back. I don't care if it's fourth round, if it's seventh round. I'm taking I'm doing that instead of taking them on day one or day two. Like we can get a, a and, you know, that's better than obviously waiting until unrestricted, you know, or a college free agency. And, right. you know, like, take a day three running back. I think it's smart. So to your question of the guys you named in that uh, 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 cluster, uh, Devin A. Chain's probably the guy I had highest, um, probably just because he's ex- incredibly fast. So I, I think that really helps in modern NFL offenses. Also want to give a shout out to Ty J. Spears uh, as well. Uh, I think he's a really good player out of Tulane, like would love taking Ty J. Spears, you know, and, you know, if he's still there in the sixth, seventh round, wow. Like he's going to be a guy on that list next year, very high on Ty J. Spears, but Overall, if I'm in that room, who am I pounding the table for? It's got to be Deuce Vaughn uh, from Kansas yeah. State. This is one of my massive dra- draft crushes of this year. Like, I feel like every year there's always kind of like a few players that stand out there. You're like, gosh, wow, this is a, a player I really like. And that's Deuce Vaughn for me. And a big thing that I value in prospects is multiple years of production. And we get that from Deuce Vaughn. Uh, I knew about, you know, knew about him coming into the year, knew about his size, because that is the big thing that everyone looks at a Deuce Vaughn right. and you say he's 5'5", five, five, he's 179, he can't hold up in the NFL. But, uh, and it's a, it's a fair knock. That's why he's not going to get picked until late. But I- the reason I would pound the table for him is because he was so incredibly productive and dynamic and he can make one cut and make you miss. And he made defenders look foolish in the big 12 and it is the yeah. Big 12, but he made them look <laughs> so, so bad that I'm like, look, he can, you know, this will translate. He had great games against LSU and Alabama in bowl games, had touchdowns in each of those of long distances. Uh, I really, really like Deuce Vaughn. That is absolutely a player that I would pound the table for on day three of a draft. Yeah. And like, Rad's absolutely right. You worry about him because of his size, but then you watch Deuce Vaughn and you're like, oh yeah, like he rarely gets tackled. Like, like he just escapes. Like he he, does. He he has like some of the best pure like juke moves and just like mobility and ability to work in space. Like I would have compare his ability to work in space to someone like prime Alvin Kamara almost like like he has insane movement skills and while I don't think a team should be taking him to be their number one back definitely not that is a bad idea you should not do that say you're a team like the Kansas City Chiefs or the Cincinnati Bengals or 
the Buffalo Bills and maybe you take another guy or you trade for a Derrick Henry type or you have a number one back set and you want another guy you, you can just kind of bring in as a satellite back and give like three to four touches a game and get 40 to 50 yards back. Deuce Vaughn is the perfect guy to do that. And I think there's value in the NFL in that these days because we've seen teams with those type of players be extremely successful. Think of him as like almost like a Jarek McKinnon type. And like, I I, I just, I, I, I'm with Ryan. Ryan turned me on to Deuce Vaughn earlier today. I watched about three highlight packages just because I was so addicted. I love this guy and I'll be insanely high on whoever takes him. I, I, I too love and enjoy Deuce Vaughn. Yeah, one one comp that uh, his Deuce Vaughn's highest on uh, on mock draftable, which tracks you know basically your athletic testing uh, in terms of what he can be, is Deion Lewis. You know he he had some yeah. time in the NFL where he was good with the Eagles and the and the Patriots. I could see that with Deuce Vaughn and uh, other things that I mean. I mentioned Jameer Gibbs in terms of uh, his ability as a receiver. I mean Deuce Vaughn is not that far behind. I mean this guy is a great receiver. Like you'll see him running slot out routes and catching touchdowns on his film. Uh, you know this year and uh, has among the most snaps of any running back in this class i think travis died uh, who's at uh, usc is, is the only guy i have in terms of more snaps and deuce Vaughn only three fumbles in his career as well incredibly great ball security you know with the size obviously that's a big thing you're like oh you know is he going to get popped and, and starts fumbling you don't see that with deuce Vaughn. so uh just a player that i'm so incredibly high on i mean uh and, and the size is so real but it's like you got to trust your instincts too like this guy's a great football player like you're going to see him make plays on sunday and you're going to be like ah I knew it. I knew Deuce Vaughn was going to be good. I feel so confident in, in him having success in the NFL. Let me give you Deuce for everyone who's unfamiliar. Let me give you just Deuce Vaughn's rookie career arc here. This is a guy that's probably not going to be taken until the late sixth round. Like, and you're probably not going to hear a ton about him. People will say, oh yeah, he's great, but the size. Right, totally. Like, bad position. I'm telling you, by like mid-July, you're going to get that little sleeper fantasy alert on your phone <laughs> that says Deuce Vaughn is impressing coaches in 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 camp. Deuce Vaughn is stealing second uh, two, second, second, RB, second team uh, reps. Second yeah. team reps. And then this is a guy that you're going to want to take in like the second to last round of your fantasy league or pick up on the waiver wire in literally week two because he will be putting up at least 40 or 50 yards a week and probably scoring a touchdown or two every week because he is just a really special player. Yeah. I, I like him a lot. One, one team that, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to project too much in terms of what team could pick him, but I would like to see him with a team like, say, the Detroit Lions, throw him with a Jared Goff. He yeah. loves his checkdowns. Just give me the ball to Deuce Vaughn in some space. You got DeAndre Swift and David Montgomery to kind of run between the tackles. Let me just, you know, third down back, throw out Deuce Vaughn. Uh, I think that, you know, that would be kind of a cool fit. You know, undersized guy, would fit the Dan mm-hmm. Campbell mold. So uh, I, I I don't always put throw out player and team fits, but um, we'll see. We'll see if Deuce Vaughn goes uh, to Detroit on, uh, on day three. That'd be fun. Any other running backs we haven't touched on that you'd like to get to? Yeah, there's uh I mean there there's a few more that I, I wanted to make sure to highlight. Chase Brown from Illinois is a is a really good player. Uh, another player that had multiple years of production. He has a brother, Sidney Brown. I well, I'm also incredibly high on uh, a safety uh in this class, my second ranked safety right after Brian Branch. So uh, I really like both uh Chase Brown and, and Sidney Brown, and I think he's gonna be good. But uh the one player that's kind of like a sleeper that you know, maybe he's a, a little bit more of a of a uh, undrafted free agent, or, or maybe you take a flyer on him on day three, but 
but that's Zach Evans from Ole Miss. Uh, he was a five-star recruit coming into uh, to to out of college or out of high school. Sorry, uh, he's from Houston area. Ends up going to TCU for two years. Now, obviously, we know about the success that TCU had this year, but he transferred to Ole Miss and kind of unlucky situation. But he was behind, not necessarily behind, but kind of co-getting snaps with Quinshawn Judkins, who was one of the most dynamic freshmen in all of college football this past year at Ole Miss. You're going to hear his name in two years as you know the next kind of Bijan Robinson or potential first round running back in two years, Quinchon Judkins. But the other running back from Ole Miss, Zach Evans, his production is down a little bit, but he is dynamic. He uh, is, is really good in space, uh, has almost you know seven yards a carry uh, in his time in SEC uh, action playing at Ole Miss and uh, is also a good receiver as well. You see that a little bit on his tape, but I think it's something he could do a little bit more of. Uh, has decent size, uh, 202. So, uh, you know, maybe he can, you know, kind of maybe more immediately work his way into a role, but um, he's just kind of a more, you know, low key under the radar guy that uh, I think has some kind of nice ability that, uh, you know, maybe underperformed a little bit in, uh, in college productions down a little bit, but I think he has kind of the, the background with being a five-star recruit and uh, some dynamic ability that, you know, he could make a, uh, an impact on an NFL team as a, as a late round pick or uh, undrafted free agent. Right, I do want to ask about, I do oh, want to ask yeah. about one other running back because yeah. This is a guy that's been talked about a lot, I think, and in, in the in the draft circles that I look at it, that's a that's a Abadakanda from Pittsburgh. Sure. Like, the dude, the dude, like he's listed at five ten and two sixteen, which seems stout as hell. <laughs> and yeah. and then and I look at look at some of the films, and he runs away from people. He's explosive as hell. And then the thing I see talked most about is that he he goes down a lot of first contact. He doesn't break a lot of tackles, which mm-hmm. I find that a little bit hard to kind of mesh with the fact that he is built that stoutly in terms of height and weight like can you have you had a chance to look at it and see like why that is like yeah no abanacan is an interesting uh interesting prospect i'm a little bit lower on abanacan than the consensus but what you said is completely true he's got good size you know he's stout as you said is a really good way to put it and runs a 4440 so you know on paper he projects as you know height weight speed guy that can right. be good production was down a little bit uh at you know during his time at pit except for the touchdowns which is obviously good you want to be <laughs> you know feeding a guy in the red zone that's probably a good stat to be good at if it's anything but question kind of that you know how explosive is he but obviously the 40 time kind of adds up but you know watching him as you said you know if he's going down on first contact if his vision may not necessarily be there to hit the hole right on time and uh Pitt is kind of an interesting offense too like uh you know they went through a lot of changes from the Kenny Pickett right. uh you know year to this year with Keaton Slovis and no Jordan Addison so uh you know he went through a little bit of ups and downs you know not necessarily taking a ton of hits uh, uh, you know which is a good thing on kind of the lower end in terms of snaps uh, of running backs in this year's class which uh obviously projects that you know maybe he's ready to take on a little bit more of a role as uh, a rotational back in the NFL so um yeah like I said I'm a little bit lower on a band Canada than than the rest but um you know i think that you know he offers maybe a little bit more value if you know if you're finishing with touchdowns you, you know you can find a role with an nfl team i think okay let's finish up here with our with the edge class and i want to start at the top here and i want to ask a very simple question uh because will anderson jr is a guy i follow very closely uh what obviously alabama is a big football program i watch a lot of alabama games because Usually they're not on at the same time that the West Coast games are on. So I'm going to ask you a very simple question here, Ryan. If Will Anderson comes out a year earlier, so after last year, true or false, he is the no doubt number one overall pick in the draft. Because I feel like he is. I feel like 
his what you're saying if he was eligible because he wasn't eligible to come right his sophomore year was so good and so amazing that if he was eligible he would have been the first pick in the draft but he's kind of fallen down a little bit this year because honestly he sort of regressed last year like he was still a very good player but team's game planned for him more and he didn't quite put up the insane film and numbers he did in his sophomore season do you think it's fair to say that if he had been able to come out a year earlier he would have been picked much higher um i it's tough because i still think will anderson is like the best player in the draft if i'm really being honest so even after this year which i do agree with you was a you know down year from his sophomore year no doubt you saw more uncharacteristic penalties for lining up off sides you see a little bit more missed tackles uh in his game than you saw in uh you know his freshman or or sophomore year tape and uh, i think one game that was really on a lot of people's radar was against tennessee where they really kind of got lit up by hendon hooker and darnell wright the uh offensive tackle for tennessee had a really strong game against Will Anderson, but I don't think we should necessarily overthink it too much. I mean, uh, this is a dynamic player. He's got the size, five-star recruit. You know, we knew about him coming in. He's a great player. Let's not overthink it too much. You know, he is a stud. Uh, So he finishes his sacks, and, and, you know, that's what makes money in terms of being a pass rusher in the NFL, and he does it in in different ways. He can bend around the edge. He can use his power uh, in bull rush situations, and he can win inside too. So um, I, I think that I don't think his stock really hurt too much, even though you know 2022 wasn't as good as 2021 i think that's for sure a fact but um he's still a dynamically elite player and obviously we don't know how the quarterback situation will fall in the draft but uh, i would be stunned if you fell out of uh you know the top five or, or six picks so i mean considering I, position priority as well so like it's totally. a premium position after quarterback ed rusher is probably number one on majority of nfl teams uh positional value charts I would so say. these edge guys especially for me ryan it really helps comps really helps uh for some of these edge guys if you had a comp for will anderson who would it be uh on the spot on the spot comps are tough i'm not a big comps guy uh, mock draftable says Sorry. like a cave on thibodeau in terms of the athleticism i was very high on cave on thibodeau as well uh, you know I, I think that probably adds up pretty fair and um you know we saw flashes of cave on being good with the giants i still think his is, you know he's got some good game ahead of him but um i think that's pretty realistic for uh for will anderson okay my favorite guy of all the guys that you had me watch, kind of my favorite guy, because I, I do fall in love with these edge rushers, and especially guys that just look like big and long. <laughs> and Tyree like, Wilson? Tyree Wilson. Oh, my God. I watch this guy, and I'm like, okay, like if he can add some pass rush moves and if he gets into the right developmental system, like he kind of looks like a Miles Garrett clone, I'm not going to lie. Like, I don't know. I just love those big guys who can move fast and get to the quarterback. And I'm just a big fan of Tyree Wilson. I'll be very high on whoever takes him. Yeah, like say like a, a Seattle Seahawks. I mean, that's just kind of oh, like a match yeah. made in heaven uh, <laughs> with what they do in terms of let me get an elite athlete and I will coach him how to play football at an elite level in terms of what he can do for me. 
that would be perfect. I mean, Tyree Wilson, like you said, he, he was built in the factory with uh, with what his arms are. I mean, 35-inch arms, I think to most people, they're like, I don't know what to base that on. Well, like Will Anderson and Miles Murphy have 33-inch arms. So two extra inches on his arms, that is a significant advantage as a pass rusher where you're using your hands and your arms to try to beat a, another fat guy in front of you. Like it's a big advantage in terms of the potential of what you can do as a pass rusher. But, you know, I, I like Tyree Wilson a lot too. He's going to get picked very high because of that athleticism. I think the tape, like you see a little inconsistency on tape. Like you, I think you watch a highlight reel and you're like, dude, this guy could go first overall and I wouldn't bat an eye. But, you know, I think there's a little consistency you wonder on tape. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, I think as a pass rusher, he can really re- kind of refine his technique. But again, if you're taking a pass rusher high, you're thinking, yeah, we can coach this guy to unleash that potential. But, you know, it's not going to, I don't think happen, you know, day one where, uh, you know, he's getting, you know, 10, 15 sacks as a rookie. It's going to take some time with him, but um, the the potential and, and ceiling is definitely there. Another edge guy that I think like we, we know a lot about like, because of the program he is and the success that the program has in recent years is Nolan Smith, obviously. like And Nolan Smith kind of feels like, because obviously he tested freakishly well at the combine, yeah. and it, he but he does kind of give me that the kind of the Nicobe Dean vibes because he Nicobe Dean last year when he got he got drafted he didn't get drafted until the third obviously different position but he was uh, he was not for being undersized and Noah Smith is also very undersized for an edge yeah. for an edge rusher and even though his athletic athletic profile is really really good and he was a four year starter at Georgia like it's it kind of makes you wonder like if that, if that will translate because his production is not as high as I think you would want it to be even if you're a four-year starter at Georgia. So kind of curious as to what your opinion, what your opinion is on Nolan Smith. Yeah. He's a really interesting eval. And like you said, I think post combine, he was a massive riser because of that dynamic 40, like a four, three, nine, 40, like uh, that in comparison is faster than B. John Robinson ran for what we're talking about as the most elite running back we've seen. in you know, a couple of years, you know, entering the league. So to get that as an edge rusher, you're thinking, Oh my gosh, this guy is going to burn offensive tackles and fly around the edge. And uh, he certainly has that ability. Uh, You know, it would certainly still take, uh, you know, a smart defense, system to kind of unleash that you know i think back you know micah parsons obviously is kind of an extreme example of that now nolan smith is certainly not that he's much smaller as you said undersized maybe even kind of projects almost as an off-ball linebacker that would kind of be an interesting way to potentially use a nolan smith as well interesting you know you said like with georgia like it's kind of weird like how they use that defense like everybody's a five-star recruit at georgia and that includes nolan smith so it's like well they're trying to you know get some good guys on the football field too so uh you know his snap counts aren't necessarily as high as you know even some of the juniors in this class even though nolan smith is a, a senior at georgia and sure he dealt with some injuries uh last year with a torn right pectoral missed seven games and that's something that probably impacted his draft stock too but uh you know it, the production is lower it's a little concerning but uh i i'm like i said a little bit lower on nolan smith because i obviously love the athletic upside but end of the day we're trying to draft great football players and like am i convinced that he's a great you know technical football player you know no i I think there's other edges in this class that I have a little bit higher uh, than Smith, but um, you know, he, he's probably, probably, you know, has a pretty damn good shot to go in the first round because of the athleticism. Yeah. The thing for me about Nolan Smith is I get that the, the pass rush numbers aren't there, but when I watched him to me, outside of any of these defensive tackles, basically, if you're just saying purely edge rushers, he is the best run stuffer of all of them. Like, He is the best at controlling the gap and getting into the backfield and stopping running backs. 
And if you moved him to inside linebacker, I think he'd be extremely successful. Yeah, I I, I would I would probably I, do that if I was a defensive coordinator. I don't know if they would, but uh, I think that's he's probably just what I would a little him. bit too slight to be. Yeah, a really good edge rusher, but like he he, be, he and Will McDonald are like the smallest edges in in this class. Like he he'd be he'd be like an elite like Roquan Smith type if if they put him in yeah. the middle. Like I, I think I, that I, would be unreal. I really do think so, and 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 I think he's a guy definitely worth taking a swing on if he falls to the early second or or something like yeah. that. Um, the guy I wanted to talk about as maybe not you know crazy like gonna make every play, but a guy that could be a good rotational guy. I think I really like Miles Murphy. What what are your thoughts on Miles yeah. Murphy? Well, I love Miles Murphy. He's my second ranked edge rusher right after Will Anderson. I even hire have him higher than Tyree Wilson. Um, I, you know, I think those are three of the most elite players in this draft period. So, and I don't have much separating them, but I really, really like Miles Murphy. You know, he, uh, he he's a little bit more similar to the Will Anderson in terms of being a five-star recruit coming into Clemson, you know, a program that's known for just churning out unbelievable defensive linemen on a yearly basis. And uh, Miles Murphy is only three pounds lighter than Tyree Wilson and an inch shorter. Like we always hype up this freak athlete of what Tyree Wilson is. And Miles Murphy ain't no slouch either. Like this guy can line up and, you know, he's Strong, he's powerful. He's going to get into the backfield, cause some havoc in in the run game and the pass game. And uh, he had good stats too at Clemson. He was a finisher. He knows how to to get to the quarterback, force some fumbles. Uh, is six forced fumbles in in Miles Murphy's career in uh, thirty five games. So uh, that's a really valuable trait. Uh, and that's a game changing edge rusher if you can not only get to the quarterback but start forcing turnovers too. So I love Miles Murphy. I think taking him in the top ten is an unbelievable strategy uh, if you're a GM. Interesting. I, I, I did not. I'm higher than him in the most. I will say that high on him. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. He, he kind of looks like an average NFL, like edge rusher to me. But like, yeah, I, I guess he he could have that kind of upside. Do you have anyone before we uh, move on to our exercise here, uh, later in the rounds? But you're you're kind of higher on. Are you thinking like day three or day two? Day two. Okay, day two, I got a great one, and it's Isaiah Foskey. You know, I, I mentioned earlier that uh, Deuce Vaughn is kind of one of my big draft crushes for for day three, and Isaiah Foskey is that guy for me on day two. Could, you know, very easily uh, work an argument for me to even take him in the back half of round one. But um, another player that was very highly recruited coming out of high school from Southern California ends up going to Notre Dame uh, and is another just big freak athlete, 264 pounds, 6'5". He's only four pounds lighter than Miles Murphy. Like, all these guys are big freaks, and... Uh, Foskey ends up running a, a sub four six forty, which is even faster than Will Anderson, uh, who's over ten pounds lighter. And you watch Foskey's tape; he's another guy that he'll get to the quarterback and force turnovers, seven forced fumbles uh, in his career at Notre Dame in thirty seven games. And uh, you know that was even on kind some kind of like lighter pass rush snap, uh, you know, numbers in relation to the other guys that are Anderson, Murphy, and Wilson. Uh, and Foskey's a finisher as well, with uh, you know twenty five sacks in his career. So I love Isaiah Foskey. I watched back some tape of him recently and I was like man I, I can't believe this guy isn't a little higher and I feel like earlier in the draft process I saw Foskey kind of coming into the year as maybe a guy you should take middle of round one and I'm not sure what the reasoning is but I feel like he maybe is kind of falling a little bit in terms of uh, being picked end of round one or day two and that's why he's probably you know a day two lock for me if I'm on the clock and you know this year it's weird it's pick 32 starts round two because the Dolphins wanted to talk to Tom Brady and whatever mm. but to start a day two Isaiah Foskey for me is a home run uh, this guy's a stud cool 
All right. Let's do this here. Let's let's do a little bit of mock drafting. Do we want to do any trades? I'm anti-trades uh, and mocks, yeah, personally. Yeah, in mocks, personally. Yeah, let's keep oh, it simple for, for okay. the sake of this exercise. We'll keep yeah. it simple. Uh, I will let uh, YB go first. Uh, Ryan, you'll have the second pick, and I'll have the third. And we'll okay. just we'll just stay in that order. We'll go through the draft uh, board. So, YB, you are up first with the Carolina Panthers. Carolina Panthers. So this is the million dollar, the many, many million dollar decision that uh, Frank Reich and Scott Federer and everyone has been discussing ever since that trade with Chicago. So I could be cute here and try to go Anthony Richardson, but <laughs> no, I won't be doing that. Uh, looking at it, I think I, I'm going to go with CJ Shroud, CJ Shroud, because Reich, I think, in this is this is a maybe a bit of a shallow input into it because I haven't looked into this looked into this in a lot of great detail, but I've been impressed by Stroud's arm, I think, more than I think anything in this draft. And when I watch Stroud play, his placement on the ball is incredible. Like I don't think I've thought that about a lot of quarterbacks that I've seen in college. He can place that wherever he wants, provided you get him a bit of protection. I think they've shored up the offensive line enough that you can let Stroud kind of uh kind of um showcase that arm and i think in terms in even regardless of whether you want um more of an athlete at the quarterback position i think stroud's uncannily accurate arm is still a major prerequisite for the position so i think with the panthers they'll take cj stroud one all right texans i would immediately submit the card that says bryce young quarterback alabama and i would move on with my day and smile because Bryce Young, to me, is the number one quarterback in the class. He's a dynamic playmaker. And again, uh, you know, the size is a question. But when you watch this guy play football, he's a great football player. And the Texans need more great football players. So give me a, the best quarterback, and I'll go Bryce Young. Arizona Cardinals at three. I think they're trying to make culture changes. So I don't think they'd take Jalen Carter here. But I do think Jalen Carter would be a good fit for the Cardinals when whenever he gets taken I do want to talk about Jalen Carter a little bit because he's one guy but I don't think we've mentioned yet that is a pretty big name in this year's draft class uh I'll take Will Anderson though uh give them uh an edge rusher to replace Zach Allen and and JJ Watt so that will leave uh YB up with the Indianapolis Colts I mean, they need they need somebody on the defensive line because they have nobody else left there. Like, who else is left there? Anyway, so with the Colts, uh, this goes against everything that Chris Ballard has ever stood for. He doesn't want to pick a rookie quarter because that means his time his clock is ticking. But I don't think he has any options left at this point. And and if you're gonna go if you're gonna go out, you gotta go out swinging big. So let's take let's take the shot. Go Anthony Richardson. Like, if you're gonna if you're gonna go out swinging, go out swinging for the home fences. And if you don't if you don't hit it, you're gonna be out of the town anyway. So you got to go with the biggest gamble you have. And I don't think it's as big as a gamble I think people make it out to be. Hmm. Interesting. What do you mean by that? What what where is some more? I want to dig into your thoughts on Anthony Richardson matter a little bit more. Like it, like the. What people talk about Anthony Richardson in that his act is accurate, the completion percentage, and that translate to, translate into its accuracy. But the scheme of Florida is insane. Like they don't give him anything easy down low. Like it, everything is thrown all the way downfield, and I don't care how what difficulty. Like if you're even if you're playing on anything above 
pro difficulty on Madden. You're not going to have completion percentage over 60% if all you're doing is throwing downfield bombs off a of play action. I don't I don't care who the hell you are. Like so and now that they have Shane Steichen as head coach and Steichen has shown that he can work with somewhat more unconventional and uh gifted talents with Jalen Hurts and Justin Herbert, like I think they can craft something that fits with Anthony Richardson's skill set and that they can mold they can mold someone that feels somewhat more let like less quote unquote pro ready and make him and turn and craft a scheme that fits to his very incredible physical gifts. I mean the dude is the dude is bigger than Hassan Reddick and runs like the dude is bigger than George Kittle and runs faster than Hassan Reddick. I mean <laughs> come on. You got you can make something happen with this guy. It's gotta be Anthony Richardson. All right. That leaves uh, RK up here with the Seattle pick. Yeah, Seattle on the clock. Uh, you know, Jalen Carter is obviously an intriguing option, but I feel like this team needs a little bit more help on the edge. So I'm going to go with Tyree Wilson here. Again, we talked about the athletic freak, you know, just the fit with Seattle. Um, that's what they do. They, you know, they turned Tyreek Wolin, who was a height, weight, speed guy, uh, who was a fifth round pick into a really good player. I have a lot of confidence they could do that with Tyree Wilson. And, you know, edge is a big need. You know, I mentioned I really like Miles Murphy, but uh, I'll go with Tyree Wilson here for Seattle. Lions obviously traded Jeff Okuda over the the past few weeks. They need a cornerback. They go best guy available, Devon Witherspoon. I think that's a solid pick for them at six. Uh, seven YB Raiders. Uh, this is this is a difficult one because there's two ways of thinking about the Raiders pick because the quarterback they have now, Jimmy G, is a bridge quarterback. I think we all know that based on the contract and based on we know what the hell Jimmy G is. So I think. I think they'll be tempted to take to take uh Levis here. And knowing Mark Davis, I think that might be actually what they do. <laughs> but for the purposes of this exercise, uh I think I think they're seething at the fact that they lost Devin with a spoon in front and they go with the next guy, Christian Gonzalez. They need they need somebody in the they need somebody in the secondary. Their their secondary is dreadful. The little Christian Gonzalez. Yeah, it's a solid pick. I was hoping they'd be there for the Falcons. It does feel like their complete rebrand of their defense would be complete if they drafted a cornerback as well, if one of them fell to them, which I don't think is a crazy thing to think they might do yeah. if one of those top two cornerbacks is there at eight. Uh, yeah. You know, sign Jesse Pates, trade for Jeff Okuda, bring in a guy that you feel can be a number one. Like, I, I do feel like the Falcons are just really trying to revamp the defense this year. Um, but this just brings up a really, you know, a really tough position, you know, position now. Cause like they, they kind of need a quarterback maybe, but it sounds like they're kind of set with what's his face. Desmond Ritter. Desmond Ritter. And I, I don't know. I, I I need some help here, RK. What 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 are your thoughts of about what the the Falcons might do in a position like this? 
Well, I think that Bijan Robinson, in theory, is a is a is a potential fit because Arthur Smith is primarily running a you know run first offense, and Tyler Algier was really kind of the recipient of a lot of that. Imagine what they could do with a Bijan Robinson, you know, to help out a young quarterback. But in this situation, I don't think we can let Jalen Carter fall any further than where he has. He's from Atlanta, went to Georgia, was a force there for so long, and you know it seems like the legal issues are kind of cleared up. Kid made a mistake. I think the fall is uh is enough here to where the talent outweighs it. I'll go with Jalen Carter to the Falcons here. Okay. Yeah. What kind of a talent is Jalen Carter? I mean, he's he's about as strong uh, and forceful of a uh, you know interior defensive tackle that has uh, entered the NFL in in a handful of years, and the fact that he did it at the SEC at Georgia, you know, he was uh, he was dynamic. I mean, it, it's it's there on tape that you know there's enough that he's you know clearly a, a top five player in this draft, if not you know maybe even the best overall player. If we had no legal issues, I think there would be conversation you know back for him to be right up there with Will Anderson. That's how it was. Um, so I mean, he's just a uh, a dominant player. All right. YB the Bears. Bears. Hmm. They're going to go with one of the three offensive line guys. So it's going to be either Skoronsky, Paris Johnson, or Brodick Jones. And now I'm I'm wondering what, what their thought would be because they have Braxton Jones on one side. They like him. So whether they want to solidify the other side with someone like Broderick Jones or whether they want someone that can fit in in the multiple positions like Skoronsky, that would be the other one. So. I think I'll take. I think in that in this position they'll take Skoronsky. Like it, it. I don't think it's a. I don't think it's as like big a like a difficult decision. I think I'm, I'm making it out to be. But I think they'll take they'll take Skoronsky, shore up at least one side of the offensive line with Braxton Jones and Skoronsky. Like and if and hell maybe Skoronsky could actually play tackle and it could it could end up working out that way. And if not, then you have Skoronsky and Braxton Jones on the left side and basically have the entire left side free and Justin Fields doesn't have to worry about getting hit, getting stabbed in the back all, like multiple times in a game. So. All right. I didn't do this on purpose, but RK gets the pick of his favorite team. And I think <laughs> I, I know what he's running to the podium to do. What do you think? I'm interested. I, I think that if you had your drivers, if you were Howie Roseman in this position, you'd say, take B. John Robinson. B. John Robinson back. Yeah. <laughs> no, he would talent. take back. The Eagles no, are now he not a team that takes running back. Yeah. Historically. I would not take Bijan in this spot. I think that the Eagles are, you know, one player I, I've been thinking about actually that could potentially be an Eagles pick here that may surprise some people is Darnell Wright, who's offensive tackle yeah, at Tennessee. That's what I was thinking. Um, you know, he kind of just blew up on the team really this year, was a good player, but uh, kind of really kind of rose up this year. I mentioned earlier when we were talking about Will Anderson, that Darnell Wright had a pretty strong game against him that everybody kind of turned some heads, obviously. You know, the top pass rusher in the class was, um, you know, done pretty well by Darnell Wright. Kind of moved up some boards. You know, the Eagles, you know, they tend to be a team not taking running back uh, to be a team that would look at had uh you know next year where maybe they in, in a position where they're looking to uh you know replace and i don't think lane johnson is, is quite you know out the door yet but i think you know thinking about that kind of swing tackle spot is important because they lost andre dillard this year in free agency to tennessee he was a player they previously traded up for in the first round to take to kind of be that insurance in case you know lane johnson got injured or retired early whatever the situation is uh, also could you know maybe play left tackle which turns into jordan mylotta uh 
which they lucked into. But I think replacing that, you know, the third tackle with a with a high end pick, Eagles like to take guys in the trenches, and um, right. you know, maybe there be con- some consideration for uh, some, a defensive lineman in this spot. But uh, I w- I think uh, you know maybe a surprise to some people, but I'll go with Darnell Wright, uh, offensive tackle for Tennessee for the Eagles. That was what I, that was what I would have been considering too if I'd been there because Lane Johnson was considering retirement I think the previous season and he also battled injuries near the end and the Eagles like they're known to stock eat both sides of the trenches no doubt and like in terms of the like by a lot of obviously he's secured on the left side the right yeah. side if Lane Johnson decides to hang it up sometime in the near future then the best right tackle in the class is supposedly Darnell Wright so. Totally. And I think it's also a factor here that, you know, Christian Gonzalez, Devin Witherspoon, Jalen Carter, Tyree Wilson, they're all off the board. You know, I think those would be guys the Eagles may consider, um, you know, corner is definitely an interesting spot too, even though they kept Slay and Bradbury, uh, you know, older players, you know, you may be thinking about, you know, getting a new corner in there, but uh, like you said, Eagles, typically they're a trenches team. So I'll stick with that and go with Darnell, right? All right. I get a really fa- fascinating pick here. Tennessee. Uh, I think the Titans could go a lot of different ways. One, I think they could take Will Levis. I really do think if, they if it could, felt like this, they could take Will Levis because you know you could use Ryan Tannehill as your kind of bridge guy, and if Will Levis really blows you away in camp for some reason, and the inevitable quarterback injury happens midway through camp, you could trade away Ryan Tannehill and get really good value for him. But what the Tennessee Titans did this offseason was sign a lot of their veteran players to one-year deals that were very get-outable of next year. I really do think they're trying to squeeze one more year out of this. And if they really are trying to trade Derrick Henry, this lines up perfectly for them. I'm going to have them take B. John Robinson because then – you take Bijan Robinson, and suddenly Derrick Henry becomes the hottest commodity available for day two teams. And and you could potentially, at that point, it's early enough in the first round that the phones start ringing, and people are like, hey, take our late first for Derrick Henry. Like, I think it would be a really strategically smart move for them to take a running back like Bijan Robinson if he's there at eleven. Yeah, that's well, that's an interesting one. I mean, I, I don't think I was thinking RB there, but... We'll see. Well, the scheme won't really change. They, they I mean, could no, do, but do... I mean, there's just a lot more holes. I mean, they're all yeah. line. Like, give me Paris Johnson there. <laughs> uh, I, I just think Bijan, uh, I, I think they could be a little bit, uh, I don't know. Maybe that was a bad pick on my part, but, <laughs> okay. uh, but got uh, it. you're just going to get fired in three years. That's, that's okay. That's all, that <laughs> yeah. all right. Uh, the, Houston, Texas. So they took so they took Bryce Young and with the second pick, like none of none of that Will Anderson nonsense that we you know we're in, the, in these recent recent new, recent <laughs> days. So with the second so with their second first round pick, so now they get so now that they have traded away uh, malcontent Brandon Cooks the fifth time in six years or something like that, they need someone to catch passes. And Nico Collins is not the not the answer, no matter how much I want it to be in fantasy. So. <laughs> So, so they'll go they'll go up and they'll take J- they'll take Jackson Smith and Jigba like because he, he can get open he can get open like no other person so and like it doesn't have to go deep but Bryce Young can find him Jackson Smith and Jigba can open and they need someone to get, that can get open more than anything okay hypothetically speaking if the Texans actually did this this is a super spicy offense next year 
Bryce Young, Damian Pierce, good left tackle in Laramie Tunsil, Jackson Tunsil. Smith and Jigba. You're getting me, me, uh, what's his name? Mechie back. John Mechie. You like you're getting him back. They brought in uh what uh who's the tight end they brought in? Oh my god. He uh, Dalton Schultz. Dalton they Schultz. brought I mean Dalton they Schultz. brought they brought in Dalton Schultz. Who else did they bring in? Didn't they bring in an They've got, I think, Robert Woods is like a veteran. Like, suddenly, I don't know, the AFC is kind of weak. Suddenly, I, we're, we're getting to August, and if these are the moves that the Texans make, I'm talking about the Texans in our AFC South preview as a team I think could be a sleeper for the division. Like, that, this would be a very solid draft for them, I think. Considering the state of the Titans, I think that's not as far-fetched as an idea as you might think it would be, so... <laughs> All right, the, the Jets, Ryan. Well, I think kind of the elephant in the room for me with the Jets, outside of Aaron Rodgers, of course, Man. but I would say for the purpose of this, they have Aaron Rodgers. You know, what's going on with Mekhi Becton? Is he, like, yeah. going to be your franchise left tackle? If not, I would probably go with Paris Johnson here, but for the sake of this, we'll say that, you know, everything's fine with Becton and whatever for, for the time being. So uh, let's go give the Jets Jordan Addison. I mean, I know they got Garrett Wilson last year, but they just traded Dude, away that, uh, I, Elijah Moore. So I was thinking about that. The wide receiving room is too crowded. Like you just signed yeah. Alan Lazard, you've got like Garrett Wilson. I think and... you try to give Aaron Rodgers as many weapons as you can because you're trying to actually compete and like yeah. win football games, which is the New York Jets. You haven't done a lot of that because you haven't had a good quarterback, and now you're going to get a Hall of Fame quarterback. Let's actually give this guy some weapons, like the Broncos did with Peyton Manning at the end of his time, and what the Jets didn't do when they had Brett Favre. Let's just give this guy as many weapons as we can. Okay, mm. Jordan Addison, it is. I mean, Smith and Jigba was a great pick. Yeah, I, I gotta say, you know, I'd probably take him in that spot, but Houston just grabbed him. So, yeah. The New England Patriots. <laughs> oh boy. Well, Will Levis is right there. So, like, if you really hate Mac Jones, <laughs> you can take Will Levis. But that seems like absolute hell for Bill Belichick. I do not think Bill Belichick is like, damn, I want Will Levis. Um. I do think they've they, they missed having a tight end. I do think that since the Gronk departure, it has been a major part of their team that they've missed and something they really haven't been able to have. And though I'd love to be a homer and put Don Kincaid right there, he's not ever going to be a Belichick tight end because he's not a great blocker. You can't really attach him to the line. He's not a tra Belichick is a traditionalist in every sense of a word. I think I'll, I'd have them taking Michael Meyer here. Michael Mayer. Michael, Michael Mayer. Mayer. Michael Mayer. Uh, and then finally, uh, 15th overall, YB, the Green Bay Packers. I've, I admit, I don't quite remember exactly what the physical uh, dimension that they're looking for in positions because I know the Packers have that, but they need, I think, an, they need an edge if I'm not mistaken. Although I'm not sure what the status of Rashawn Gary is at this point coming off his ACL. So if I'm looking at an edge, wait. Did we take Miles Murphy or no? Not yet. No. Not yet. So there's it's between Miles Murphy and um, what's his face? Uh, Lucas Van and Ness. Lucas Van Ness. And also, if you're concerned about the state of the line, then Broderick Jones is an option. Wait. wait. Or Nolan Smith. Wait. They love their Georgia defensive players. Good point. <laughs> but Nolan Smith is. I, Noel Smith doesn't fit their physical profile. That's that's what concerns me at this point because they 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 stick very rigidly to that draft profile that they have of 
physical profile thing. So I think though I think they'll go uh, I think they'll go with Lucas Van Ness. Like familiar, familiar and thing and I mean the the scouting report says he looks like a grizzly bear, so I think he'd fit well in Wisconsin. So yeah. I I can see that a lot for those reasons, I agree. Okay. That is our top fifteen mock draft. Well, I, I just want to say, Eric, I was on the clock with Washington at 16, and it's going to be Will Levis. So I, okay. I, just want, I don't want Will Levis to be just waiting around in the draft room the whole night. So I just want to let him know he's, he's off the hook. He's going to the he's going to the commanders. All right. Will Levis. There we go. Top 16. Excited Still some to take good him players in. on the board for the second yeah. half. You know, uh, some some guys that, you know, I, I was a little bit surprised in this exercise how early the wide receivers went. I feels like kind of the buzz we're getting is that they're going to go later. It's just such a Jets thing to do, man. To take yeah, Jordan Addison true. at 13. Fuck. True. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, the sun has gone down, as you guys can both tell. <laughs> my room has gotten progressively darker throughout this. I thought maybe I'll do some video for this, but then I forgot to turn on my light. Uh, so, yeah, boys, thank you so much for joining me. Uh Enjoy the rest of uh, your weekend. Some good NBA playoffs on, some good NHL playoffs starting Monday. RK, really quick, just give me your Stanley Cup finals pick. Oh, well, complete chalk is saying Bruins abs. So I'm not going to do that. And I'm going to say it'll be Oilers, Hurricanes, <laughs> and I got the Oilers. Okay. Oh, Brad, Brad will love that one. <laughs> yeah, he would. Yeah. Uh, I really fear the depth. They don't have a third line. So I'm banking on McDavid just putting up like three goals a game. And he might. Yeah. YB, are you, I, I don't, I forget. Are you into hockey? I have, I have, I haven't been plugged in because mainly because ever since the Red Wings got eliminated, I lost all interest. But yeah, <laughs> but, tough but season. Think, but, but I think the, I think the Bruins, like they have too much, they have too much to overwhelm people. And out of the West, like, out of a out of a personal sense of uh, of the people that come onto this podcast, I want to see the Bru- I want to see the Oilers make it there and then get crushed by the Bruins just so that just so <laughs> I can just so I can make fun of Brad for a, a little bit. But um, I won't go into any uneducated, uneducated predictions. I haven't I don't know enough about the other teams to really say with any respect. any accuracy. Okay, respect. Uh, I think I'm I'm going uh, Donnie's New York Rangers. Coming out of the East, I feel very, I feel very strong about that. But I honestly do agree. This just feels like Connor McDavid's year. Like it, it feels like he's just gonna put his team on his back and show that he's the greatest player we've ever seen since Gretzky, and that they're gonna win the Stanley Cup this year. So I think Oilers over Rangers in like seven games in a crazy series where like McDavid is the only guy that can solve Igor and eventually things just break down and the Rangers just can't keep up with the speed of, of the Oilers anymore. Uh, so that would yeah. be fun. Yeah. I feel, I feel like that's it. If uh, this actually happens, I refuse to go on a broadcast with Brad for about two months because he'll yeah. be, he'll be, he'll be unbearable. Yeah, he's going right <laughs> to his head. If they do it. Yeah. I, I, I really don't want that to happen either because it'll just be like, Imagine him having the Chiefs and the Oilers win within like a six month. I mean, he'd just be unbearable. Like, especially going into like summer (laughs) previews, he'd just be like unbearable. He'd think he would be right about everything. I really can't stand that. Please, please, please. He would just take it out on the Chargers too. You know, yeah, he he would just take it out on the Chargers. He would take it out on the Chargers, and he'd probably take it out on the Bengals too. Like that's that's his that's his new that's his new thing these days. Okay. 
Yeah. All right, boys. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, this will be out Sunday afternoon. Keep an eye out. We are doing the NBA podcast still this year. Um, that'll be out on uh, late Sunday night, early Monday morning. Uh, so go check that out. As go well, Suns. Uh, we'll have some NBA thoughts. All right. Thank you all for listening. And for the End Zone podcast, our football experience, we will see you draft week with uh, three episodes. So should be fun. Thank you very much for listening. We will see you all next time. Peace out.